This is Raw Cut. A life of adventure and faith. Thanks for joining us on Life Bursts. This is Life Bursts uh, with Matt today. Sarah couldn't be with us, but we do have a guest in our studio to share a burst of their life. And I'd love to welcome Greg. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Great opportunity to tell my story. Yeah. Now, Greg, take us back, as all our guests do. Where did life begin for you? Yeah, I, I kind of plan to roll chronologically through through the whole deal, but um, obviously not giving every detail. But um, uh, yeah, life began for me uh, growing up in Greenacres, which is um, northeast suburbs of, of, of Adelaide. Um, I think there's a photo there of my, my family, my mum and my dad, um, Kevin and Lillian, um, and my brother Tony, so only one sibling. Right. Um, dad passed away in 2002, and um, oh, mum's actually about to pass away, which is, you know, it's, she's um, not doing that well, but um, she's 89 now, and um, yeah, so we're at a difficult spot at the moment. Yeah, but, um, yeah. That's that's uh, you know that's part of the journey. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's, I think there's another photo of my my actual family, my family. Your current. Um, yeah. yeah. So my wife Karen and my and my three kids, Ruby, um, Isaac, and Bree. And uh, yeah, we. Um, so for me, yeah, life, life began in Green Acres, and uh, back then it was um, out the other side of us was all paddocks. Mm. Now it's all high-density housing. Yeah. Um, things have changed quite a lot. In fact, my old high school, all that remains is one tree um, that you know kids used to sneak out and have a smoke under, but um, not me. I didn't, never smoked. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I guess I wanted to start with um, going back to primary school where mm. uh there were two teachers that had an impact on me. Mm. And um, one was my grade two teacher. Um, her name was Mrs. Doxy, and I would often run into her on the bus um, in through my teenage years, and um, and she would always ask how I was doing. She was just a really wonderful, warm lady who instilled in me um, confidence and told me I could sing. And since that day, I don't think I've ever stopped singing. Okay. <laughs> Ask my family. It's something I do all the time. Um, <laughs> I, I don't um, – I'm not a professional singer by any means, but uh, well, more – Take it away. More the shit how I kind of singer. <laughs> right, yes. uh, I, yeah, I won't embarrass myself on TV, <laughs> but um, uh, but she was uh, – so she had a really good positive impact on me. Mm. And then I think it was a year or two later, and I won't name – this teacher, but um, I had the opposite. I had one that had the opposite effect on right. me. Okay, and um, she would um, uh, pretty much build into me with something most days: um, beach bat, yard ruler, cane, the whole deal. Because I was a very talkative child. Uh, not much has changed, um, but um, that was a year that was pretty traumatic for me. It was a year I started bedwetting, but I I also didn't. Um, I didn't tell my parents about it because I thought that I was a naughty child um, to be having to be treated such. Um, but that year passed, and that's been something for me that's been a bit of a journey where I've had to actually walk through um, forgiving that person. And, wow. and uh, so I have done, and um, I no longer hold a grudge there, and, I, and you know, and, and I'm free of the pain 
that the memories would would bring up for that. So, wow! So uh, the impact of a teacher in a positive sense, but also of uh, someone who had such a negative impact on you that although you've dealt with that now, mm. it car- you carried that with you for a yeah. Uh, and I think both of those influenced the way I taught and when mm. I when I became a teacher, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit down the track. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So your uh, your childhood years growing up in what was then kind of country. Um, but uh, you you uh, you had your siblings around you. What kind of things did you get up to for fun as a youngster? Um, oh, well, my brother and I were always best of friends, but um, we, we had a funny story. I hung out with um, chiefly three other guys my age who uh, we were just sport nuts, um, just sport, sport, sport all the time. And so we were super fit. Um, but in the evenings, we would um, get a little bit adventurous, and one of our favourite pastimes was to go roof rocking. So if you had a corrugated iron roof, you were a target. And um, one night in particular, we were out um, doing this, and we are on the run from having rocked one roof, and someone was chasing us. And, and on the run, one of my friends had a throw at a house, and you couldn't hit the window if you tried, but he did. <laughs> and... Um, it was all little um, panelled windows. And what it did was left a little hole and the, the um, people who lived there thought they were being shot at. So they rang the police and before we got to the end of the street, police cars came from every direction and uh, we were there with our pockets bulging with rocks so there was no denying it. Um, but it turns out it was Premier Tonkin's mother-in-law's house that we'd actually hit at the time. So they thought there was a bit of a political assassination oh, no. going on. So, yeah. Um, but that that was a, a it was a formative experience for me too because um, we uh, had to go before a panel and you know and, and um, get the rap on the knuckles. We had a record until we were eighteen. Okay, I think it was sixteen actually, but um, it's gone now. I've checked, um, and uh, we had to go and meet the people whose house uh, the victims, um, which was incredibly humbling because uh, they were so unbearably nice. <laughs> um, but my yeah, my brother took me around there and I said, you're coming in? He said, no way. <laughs> You've earned this one. It's all yours. Um, so I went in and they gave me cake and a drink and just sat and talked about life and they were just really nice and I was shamed into change. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was that was the last time I ever went roof rocking. Okay. So not but, just because you got caught that you changed but because of the impact of... Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So kids don't try this at home. That's no, uh, our advice. From well, we're glad you came through that one. Uh, how was you as a student through your schooling years? You had those teachers, but uh, how did yeah? You, how... Look, academically, I was a very poor student, um, only because I was so um, all I was interested in was being social and playing sport, and. Um, and so, yeah, school-wise, uh, I struggled. I was never a good student right through high school as well. I ended up um, repeating year 11 in high school and then pretty much getting kicked out in year 12 um, because they could see that I was doing nothing, pretty much nothing but drawing a comic strip most of the time. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting turnaround to later on become a teacher. Mm. <laughs> You know, and go to university, but yeah, we'll talk about that a bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, any other memories from those early years of your life? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think every area of my life that I that I talk about all centres around me coming to faith at the age of twenty two, which we'll also delve into in, in a bit more detail. But um, uh, 
I think as a follower of Christ, um, seeds were planted very early and in some of the most unlikely characters as well. We had um, a couple of Christians living across the road and, and, um, and they had three girls. And um, so I got to see that they were um, different to what I was used to. I, I grew up around football clubs and, and the life that they lived was very different to, to the life that um, my, my dad would live and, and introduce me to at the football club. Um, but I also had um, a, a kind of a negative experience. I had one um, Christian who lived over the back fence and invited me to church as a probably about a five or six year old. And um, and I, I went along and um, when I got to church, they brought me out the front and said, we've got someone new here today. And it was all well-meaning, but I was thinking the whole time, oh, I am never coming back here. <laughs> and I didn't. Um, I did go to Sunday school for a couple of years until one year I went, saw myself to Sunday school and I went in the wrong place and ended up in the main congregation and was all at sea. And that was the end of that for yeah. me as well. So, okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. So some formative experiences in your, your early years. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, we've got much more of Greg's story to share with you, so stay tuned. This is Life Bursts. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. This is Life Burst with Matt today. Sarah couldn't be with us, but our guest today is Greg, sharing a little bit of your early life and uh, some adventures in primary school. Uh, as you moved out of school, uh, where did life take you from there, Greg? Yeah, um, having it kicked out of school, I, I obviously didn't have a, a, a job lined up mm. or any um, employment prospects, so I went on the dole, and uh, I think I was on the dole for about three months and um, absolutely hated it. It was... Um, not enough money to do anything with, but a whole lot of time to, to kill. Mm. And um, so, um, yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. And I eventually I landed a job in a sheet metal factory for um, my role was to clean off people's welds and then paint the whole thing in thinners. And so I was going home at the end of each day with a big headache and mm. I ended up going in after two weeks and saying, sorry, but I think this is a robot's job. Right. <laughs> so I packed that one in. Um, I then uh, landed a job with a friend of my dad's who was, who was a carpenter. So we were building houses and um, we spent a lot of time away from Adelaide, which I wasn't probably mentally prepared to do. Um, at that stage of my life and um, we spent a fair bit of time down at Mount Gambia building down there and those areas and uh, I worked with worked for him for um, probably about nine months or so. Um, unfortunately though he wasn't paying me properly and and I lost my satisfaction with the job. The, the actual work I really enjoyed, uh, something I could go back to um, but, yeah, it was unsatisfying in terms of uh, it. I wasn't getting paid properly. And um, so we had a little bit of a falling out and um, I packed that one in as well. Wow. Um, so it wasn't too long after that, though, that there was there were jobs advertised for uh, Australia Post in the Adelaide Mail Centre. And so I found out what kind of test they 
put to you. So I went and did a TAFE course, a WEA course on, as they used to be, and mm. on, on how what to expect in that test. And so I did that. Went and did the test and nailed it. And um, for someone who was non-academic, that was that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and landed a job as a uh, mail officer in the Adelaide Mail Centre. And I ended up being there for 11 and a half years and absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. I made so many good friends, uh, had a lot of fun, uh, particularly when I moved most of my work from working upstairs sorting mail to downstairs um, doing mostly manual labour and driving forklifts and so on, only because you got to work with the same team most of the time because you could swap roles throughout the building. And uh, we just had a lot of fun playing practical jokes on each other and just <laughs> enjoying. Can you share, enjoy share any of those practical jokes? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Some of them are probably a little bit unshareable. <laughs> but um, no, lots of just, you know, you just had to watch your back the whole time because people would just play jokes on you. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun and it was really enjoyable. And once mm. I uh, was working on the ground floor, taking sick leave was something I didn't want to do. I just wanted to be there with the guys and, and have fun. Great. So, yeah, it was, it was good. But something, this is um, how the most significant part of my life came into being was um, there was a period in 1987, 86, 87, where, um, I think that's right, where a whole bunch of guys in the, in the Adelaide Mail Centre came to faith. Wow. And including one of my best friends, Brandon, and he, Brandon, Brandon Chaplin is the um, senior pastor of Blackwood Hills Baptist and uh, Chaplin to Port Power. <laughs> um, we just lost a heap of viewers, I know, yeah. but it's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Power on. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he came to faith and he is um, has the gift of the gab and he was relentless with me and he would continue to talk to me about what had happened to him and the changes uh, that had occurred within him and in his beliefs, his whole his whole value system, how it was all turned on its head. And he knew I was into listening to music, so he would continually continually throw um, Christian bands my way to listen to while we were sorting mail and you know, just killing time kind of thing. And um, so it, I think eventually what happened was he just wore me down, uh, even though I would have some good excuses for not going to church every week when he would keep inviting me. Right. But there was one week where um, I was sitting at home and we'd finished our meal about six o'clock and I looked at my watch and I went, oh, church starts at seven at Bellevue Heights. So it was a long, actually a long drive from Greenacres to Bellevue mm. Heights. And I said to my mum, uh, mum, I'm going out. And she says, oh, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to church. And she said, where are you really going? <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm going to go and check out a church. Mm. Mates invited me, so... And that was um, the the turning point. Was, there was no looking back from that night. Well, so it was an evening service, and I, when I got there, I was blown away with how many peer aged people were there, and how friendly they were. Little did I know that he was running around telling absolutely everybody, "Go and meet this guy." Mm-hmm. And um, so all these people were talking to me, and uh, it wasn't for me that evening. wasn't bells and whistles. It wasn't like a bang, you know, fall down flat before God, a touch of the spirit, um, everything's changed instantly kind of thing for me. It was a, I think it was more a confirmation of a conviction. I think within me, if I look back through my whole childhood, I'd always believed in a God. 
except I never knew anything about him or why people would go, get up early on a Sunday morning and, and go and worship him. Um, and what, what was all that about? And all of a sudden I was, I was into this mix and I, um, but probably I meant to predate that by a journey out of, um, a drinking culture that I was into. Okay. And, um, I got to a point where with Brandon's and others, um, witnessing to me, um, where I actually desired to be a Christian. I desired to have what they had, but I knew that I couldn't in myself, I couldn't, um, live the life I was living and that. Mm. And I don't have a problem today with 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 Christians having a drink, um, but for me it was something. It was a it was a stumbling point. So it, I knew that that had to go. So I actually said to my mates when we we're out one night, I said, "This is my last drink," and they're all like, "Yeah, whatever," and mm-hmm. you know that'll never last. And told my brother, and he he, he said, "Yeah, well, you know, good luck with that." You know, he didn't think it would last either. Um, but that was it. And at the age of twenty two, I had my last alcoholic beverage. I've never touched it since, and I'm too stubborn to go back. <laughs> um, I love it when I get pulled up by the police, and they say, when was your last drink? And I go, oh, 34 years ago. <laughs> wow. Should be out of my system by now. Um, <laughs> but that was, yeah, for me, that was that freed me up to then pursue a life that was a desire for me. Right. Yeah. So you went from having those experiences as a youngster of uh, that were pretty negative of church, not, mm. not, not mm. great first impressions. Yeah. Uh, to to on this journey, but through through the relationships you built uh, along the way, yeah, yeah, and to have people explain what it means to be a follower of Jesus as well was was, was real key in that. I think. Yeah. Um, Did you have people who walked alongside you along that as well? Um, you, you've mentioned Brendan. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, did he stick stick with you along the journey? Uh, yeah. Look, I think for anyone who was at Bellevue Heights Baptist Church at that time. Uh, was incredibly blessed because we had a whole number of um, uh, mentors, male, female, brilliant people who were full on for God, who were unusual. Um, I've got to mention Sam Thompson. He um, is, I think, the world's oldest um, youth worker, uh, youth pastor, and also a chaplain in high school. I think he's been the longest standing in South Australia or something like that. Right, yeah, it's probably right. Yeah, he, um, but Sam's, um, He's a different character, um, but all, what I saw in him was a faith that was so real. And he um, he did things differently than what I ever expected, and he would take kids on hunting trips. And, um, you know, I never actually went on one of his hunting trips, but, or not the, the pig hunting trips and other trips, camps we went on. We um, did some hunting and et cetera, but um, we called it a Lord of the Flies Ministries. Because um, all these gory photos of kids with pigs, but <laughs> the amount of kids and teenagers that would that came to faith through those trips, mm. and and Sam's always had a big camp culture, where lots of camps, and that's where I got to know people and and got to shoot questions back and forth about, um, you know, what is this thing I'm stepping into? What is this faith all about? As well as other mentors like um, Andrew McDonough, who was who's author of um, the Lost Sheep books, mm. um, he was a small group leader I was in from in those very early Christian days, and there are others as well there. Um, but yeah, it, was, it had a great culture of um, maturing people in their faith and sending people out. Wow. Mm. Okay. So the power of community and people around you, authentic people, uh, sticking with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Great. We're chatting to Greg, hearing his story. This is Life Bursts. Stay with us. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. This is Life Burst, and today I'm hearing and you're hearing from Greg's story. And uh, Greg, uh, as uh, as you were working through all those things that you've shared uh, previously, uh, someone special came into your life. Uh, tell us how you met. Yeah. Uh, I know Sarah would usually ask this question, and uh, yeah, tell us how'd that pan out. Oh, it pan out really well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, when I first came to the church, I was the age of 22, and um, and I met Karen, my, who was to be my future wife. Not then, I, there was never in my thoughts, because she was only 17. And um, I, yeah, I got to know her as uh, more as a, a little sister kind of set up, and I was always protective of her and um, just enjoyed being around her. She was always a, a, a nice little character to be around. Um <laughs> But yeah, as we as I got older, we we were both uh, youth leaders, and um, there was a time where all our I don't know if this was a setup or not, but all our other youth leaders were busy, and so we had to get together and organise a couple of events. And uh, at this stage, she was uh, around twenty. She she'd had one boyfriend within the church, and I was actually devastated for her when they broke up because I thought they were a good fit. Uh, I had I, I had had three short-term girlfriends um and she was likewise i think she was devastated when those ended for me because we just cared for each other in, mm. in that in that fashion but um we're around the age of 20 i think she was and which would have put me i don't know a little bit older <laughs> um we started organizing these events together and um it wasn't until then that i kind of thought hmm, i saw her in a different light and thought she's it's a bit more than just all right, mm. and um, and, and I think it was just we we just clicked really well. One funny story though, of, which you probably won't want me to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're looking for a good marriage counselor. Right? <laughs> um, we one of the one of the church camps we went on um, was I'd just broken up from one of these relationships, and Karen was still going out with the guy, and. Uh, the camp ended up being all about relationships. So the mm. speaker was speaking all about relationships, and I'm just going, someone dig me a big hole and throw me in, please. Um, and in one of the breaks, I, I was feeling really sorry for myself and went down and sat on the bank at Manham, and, and Karen came down and sat next to me on the swing, and she was trying to you know, um, console me and said, look, I'm sure God's got someone special for you. And then she actually walked away thinking, I wonder if it's me. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so anyway, we did, we did end up getting together. We got married in 1991, and there's a lovely photo yes, there. Yes, in the photo, yeah. Um, where, yeah, where I did have the mullet. It wasn't called cool a mullet back then. It was trendy. Everyone <laughs> wanted to look like James Rain, and, yeah, I was no <laughs> exception to the rule. Yeah, nice. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it would just look really weird if I tried to grow it now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we um, we ended up getting to a point where unstudious me um, felt the lead to, to go to uni and to, and to move into teaching. So uh, I did go to uni. I, I left my job at Aussie Post after 11 and a half years, right. um, much to some... Uh, disgrace of a couple of people. They said, "Look, what are you mad going to teaching?" At the time, teaching wasn't looking all that 
flashed. They said there were too many teachers, etc. Um, was was uh, the thought of your your previous really good teacher in your mind as you that prompted you to to, to jump uh, into teaching? Yeah, probably oh, a little. Probably more so once I'd actually hit the classroom. Right. Um, yeah, because I wanted to be. I think we all want to be liked, and um, and that was a, a bit of a driving force behind that. But there's, and in doing some of that, I probably lost some of the authority as well because I wanted yeah. to be liked. But uh, you learn that over time, yeah. And how to how to manage the two. Um, but yeah, we 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 left. Uh, I left the job, and then um, we actually landed a role as a youth pastor at Knightsbridge Baptist down in the city, uh, or to the, in the in the leafy green suburbs. Mm. And um, we moved down there with two HR Holdens, which were right out of place in the middle of Burnside. <laughs> Um, and uh, uh, moved into a youth pastor's role. Now, the um, that came after our plans were thought thwarted somewhat. Our plans were I was going to go to uni and Karen was doing a nursing and she was going to be the breadwinner while I did uni. And um, But a month into that, we got pregnant mm. and with, our, with our eldest. And... Um, so yeah, the the youth pastor's role came in real handy. So I was um, probably about three quarter time youth pastor and full time uni. So it was mm. an incredibly busy period. Yeah. And in the middle of all that, we had our first child. And I can remember the day. Well, you should always remember your, your children's days, <laughs> I guess. But I can remember thinking distinctly as I'm looking at this little bundle of human, and going, "Wow, I'm a dad." I don't know what I really expected, but all of a sudden it hit me. I'm a dad. I'm responsible for this thing, mm. and and yeah. So it was. It entered me into a, a new phase of life, and and I think that affected the way I approached uni because I I, be, I then became the typical uh, mature age student. I was very swatty, and uh, well, we had the run of the gym doing sports and everything, and um, and they a bunch of young fellas said, we, "We're going to the gym. We're going to play volleyball for two hours," you know, and I'm thinking. That'd be great, but I'm going to the library. I'm going to go and sit in the corral and knock off this essay that I need to do because I think uh, being aware that it had cost me now so much to get there, um, I was I, I all of a sudden became a good student. Yeah, you grew up pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we also, uh, yeah, so there was a leaving of Australia Post, but there was also a leaving of Bellevue Heights mm. moving to this other church. So, yeah. Right. Um. So four years of uni, um, one of the towards the end of that four years, you could choose different places to go and do um, a, practic- a practical, um, a two-week prac. And uh, a guy came to the uni and spoke to us about teaching up on the APY lands, and I was incredibly interested in right. this. And so an opportunity came up to go on and to do my final prac on the lands. So for those who are not uh, South Australian or not familiar, this is in the north of South Australia? Yeah, it runs uh, the APY lands, or Ananil, Pitinjara, Yangonjara lands, run um, from uh, right across from the other side of Marla, from mm. east of Marla, right across to Western Australia mm. and, and push up into the Northern Territory, the Territory. as well there. All their traditional lands, mm. and and quite a quite a degree south. Um, Armada, oh sorry, in Dul- we'll talk about Armada later. But Indulcana was where I ended up um, going for my prac, and I absolutely loved it. It was I discovered a completely different culture 
in our country mm. and first people who were there who would have known <laughs> yeah. you know and the, the 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 traditional culture was so strong and it, and it really struck me and teaching was very different to what i had experienced and, and especially on my other pracs and i thought I, I, there's something about this that i really desire mm. so i went back home after the two weeks and i was raving to karen about it and said um i'd really like to look into teaching full time on the lands and um she knew very little about living up there as well so we ended up the following year we when, when after i graduated we i was relieving for a year and we ended up teeing up a, a very short stay in, in at indulcana so i took the family up um then we had the two boys i think and um yeah and um and karen as well so we got up there and we uh, connected well with people who were at the school and we really enjoyed it. So we went back home and we were praying about this and asking God, you know, is this right for us to do and everything? But we never got a really clear leading. It would have been great if a big you know, screen rolled down from the sky and just said, go for it or <laughs> no, don't do it. Yeah. Um, we thought it was more a case of we, we felt God saying um, – the choice is yours, and, and I'll honour either choice. And um, so we decided to apply for the lands. We got a phone call back saying um, there's no job at Indulcana, there's no housing at Mimali, which are the only two we actually applied for because they're the first two off of the highway. And they said, but we've got both going at Armitage. So we got the map out and we're tracing this map across and going, oh, that's about 270 k's of dirt. Mm. And um, we decided to go for it. And I'm so glad we did, and we had such a great time in Armada. It was um, uh, a time, uh, a very steep learning curve. Firstly, learning language, learning culture, um, and my boys for having to learn to live in that culture as well was a steep learning curve for them. Um, well, I'd love love to hear more about it. And you've got this uh, fantastic painting behind us, uh, which uh, when we come back from the break, I'd love to, to hear a bit more as well. Uh, we are Life Bursts. So we were Matt today and we're chatting to Greg. Uh, don't go too far away. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut community service announcement. You are with us today on Life Burst, and we're chatting to Greg, who has just shared about moving to Armata and uh, in the AP Wirelands. And behind us, we have this uh, this fantastic painting, which uh, I assume was given to you at some point. Tell us about this painting. Yeah, it Greg. was. Um, this was painted by a friend of mine whose name is Nunmidi Burton. Um, Nunmidi is now a, a world famous artist, so I'm really blessed to be able to have this painting. Mm. And I think she's moved pretty much into full time painting now. Um, but she came to me and she said, I'd, I'd like to do a painting for you, and I don't want to do a dreaming story. I want to do a Bible story. And so we sat down and worked out um, what she would do. And when she came to the Garden of Gethsemane, she said, that's it. I'm going to do that. And so for about four nights in a row, she would sit up mostly, well, most of the night doing this painting and coming to school very bleary-eyed. And um, so she came up with this one. 
I'll, I'll just explain it to yeah, you. Yeah, for our listeners okay. on radio and, and audio podcasts, uh, tell us what we're seeing. Yeah, so um, down on the left, uh, it's a, a number of footprints leading to a little place where people are sitting. You'll notice there are some white footprints. Are they, those are Jesus' footprints. And so this is him and the, the disciples coming up to sit together. And then Jesus goes off to pray, and this happens three times when he comes back and, the, and their um, lines in the sand are getting longer because they've fallen asleep. But he goes off to pray these three times, and that's highlighted there um, by the presence of God up there. And then we, we get down to the place here where there are a number of spears and a whole lot more people, and this is where Jesus gets arrested. And the disciples leave to the bottom right of the painting, all except for Peter, who follows Jesus where, he, where he's tortured, and Peter stands off to the side. So quite a remarkable little painting. And it is a series of paths with footprints and uh, and some circle campfires, I guess. Yeah, is the yeah. yeah. Beautiful dot painting. Mm. Which, which probably leads me to talk about um, faith issues on the lands. Mm. Uh, people often ask me, what's, what's, what's the Christianity like um, up there? And it's, it's very complex. Um, I think a lot of people recognise that a lot of the traditional practices are um, not compatible with following Jesus. And um, so you've got a, a spectrum, if you like, where some people are on one end of a spectrum and say, well, this is our identity and um, I can't follow Jesus because this is who we are. Other people will say, but I'm all in for Jesus, so I'm going to turn my back on all the old traditional practices. And some people have done that. But probably 99% of the people are somewhere in the middle going, yes, this is our identity and we do want to follow Jesus. How do we make this work? Mm. And that's that's something that um, non-Indigenous people can't tell them how mm. to do. Mm. So there are complexities in working that out. Um, we, were, we were actually blessed also through uh, what was a tragedy up there, a great tragedy. Our friend Jackie, who was a, a teacher with us, was killed in a car accident. Yeah. And we came down to her funeral here and um, we felt you know, some, somewhat dissatisfied um, with the way that funeral ran, uh, not to be critical of family or anything, but we, we felt they were maybe just a little out of touch with some of the significant things that were going on in her life. Mm. while she was teaching in Armata. We got back up to the lands and her classroom had been closed and we there was a smoking ceremony to reopen that. And groups came from every community on the lands and they did dances, they sang songs and they prayed for her and prayed for us. They got all of us to stand in a, in a row in the classroom and everybody, like 100 plus people, filed through hugging and weeping and crying and and um and doing sorry business and um and we got back to the staff room that night and we just all looked at each other and said that's that's how you grieve Mm. um yeah it was just a very powerful time of outpouring of our of our grief Mm. and and uh, but also a satisfaction of feeling we've actually been able to grieve properly so yeah So a significant time um, impact on you cross-culturally mm. um, but stirred you personally uh, the whole time up there, including yeah. the, the grieving process. Yeah, I yeah. could talk about that for hours. Yeah. We'll move on. <laughs> yeah. But you couldn't stay up there forever. You had to move on at a certain point. Well, I, I think um, my eldest was finding it difficult there and my wife was probably finding it more, much more difficult than I was. 
um, because she was, you know, our boys were so young. Our boys were three and one when we when we moved there. Um, and, and with that tragedy, Jackie was actually Karen's um, best friend, and they would go running together. So it was it was a bit of a hole torn in it um, mm. for us. And it just felt right too, just to, that the time had come to move on. Uh, so we applied for, did the general department application. So you have to nominate 70 schools. And we got number 35 okay. right in the middle. So and <laughs> ended up at Narracourt South Primary oh, School. Yeah. Um, Narracourt was a wonderful place. Uh, we almost bought a house. We almost put the roots down there. Um, we were about to, but uh, we had some very good experiences there. Um I had a my first year teaching there. I had a particularly challenging class, and uh, I was finding it very difficult. Um, but there was a lady, and I think it's okay to name her, <laughs> uh, a lady by the name of Yvonne Hogarth, who I've always referred to as my second mum. She would go to my classroom, unbeknownst to me. She would go to my classroom every morning before school, and anoint my door with oil and pray over my classroom. And I was so touched by that when I found out that. Mm. Um, so yeah, wonderful lady. Um, still good friends with her with her son as well. Uh, we uh, I ran a Bible study there. It was it was funny because we got involved in the Uniting Church there. Uh, Brian Zeitz was the pastor, and um, I was sitting in church one time, and I'd been thinking about joining a small group, but none of them seemed a good fit for me. Um, I'm I'm not a person who. Is a good fit in a lot of places, but um, um, <laughs> but I was looking around and it's like God said to me, "Have a look around you. How many other guys are in the same boat?" And uh, we ended up finding six guys who we started a small group with, and it was the most vibrant small group I've ever been involved with. It would laugh a minute. And so for those who are not uh, familiar with the term uh, small group, what, what yeah, well, well, I guess you'd, you'd chiefly call it a Bible study, but it was it was a whole lot more than that. We would we would get together and we would study the Bible. We would we would decide one week what we were going to do the next week. Um, so we would deal with um, controversial topics and all kinds of stuff. But it became um, a bunch of guys who were doing life together. Um, one of them had an accident that nearly cost him his, his foot, and uh, that week we went down. We had our meeting in his hospital room and you know mm. it's just a bunch of guys who yeah really looked out for each other mm, mm. Mm. okay yeah. and where did life take you uh from that teaching role there in Narracourt uh, and there's all these things going on um, yeah where, what was the things from they kept moving from there yeah well my fourth year into teaching at Narracourt when I finally felt like I'd kind of got it together <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um there would be there was a, a assistant pastor's role became came available in uh, Warrnambool Baptist over the over the border and a guy from our church applied for the job and um, didn't end up getting it. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time until my pastor, Brian Zeitz, said uh, he was visiting Warrnambool as he had a daughter there. And as he visits places, he goes to different churches just to see what's going on. And he said he was sitting in the Baptist church, knowing they're looking for an associate pastor. And he said, all I could do is think of you. And he said, I don't know if it's a God thing or not. But it pricked my interest and we decided to go and have a look and we dropped over there at Easter time so we could kind of slip in with all the rest of the visitors incognito and um, liked what we saw. So we applied for it and got the role. So for four years, I stepped into the role of associate pastor with my chief roles were to um, run the evening services 
and uh, to run the youth group, which had pretty much collapsed before I got there. Um, so we got to start things afresh, which was great. And most of those youth were involved in the evening service. Right. Mm. And so we uh, just a few seconds before we have a break, but what were some of the things that impacted you in, in that role? Uh, well, the two most significant things that impacted me in, in that role were actually kind of outside of my job description. Okay. Funny enough, was um, I... Uh, was at a, at the hospital one night with my son who'd injured himself and there was a lady who was very distraught and we went and spoke to her and said, are you okay? And she's turned out she was eight and a half months pregnant and the baby inside of her died. Wow. And, um, and so oh, I thought, how do we, how do, what do I do? You know, and God help. And um, so I ended up giving her my card and said, if there's anything I can do to help you through the process, please don't hesitate to give me a call. And, a couple of days later, I got a, a phone call from the funeral director who said, this lady has asked for you to do a funeral for the baby. Gee, wow. And um, we also walked through a lot of messiness around um, the family situation as well, and it was kind of like God saying, you, you stuck your hand up, how fair income are you? And um, so, all right, go on, I'm in, I'm in for the journey, let's go. And uh, so I turned up at the, um, it was a graveside funeral with this, tiny little white box mm. and uh, mum and dad and one of the siblings on a rainy day and I thought, what am I going to say? And uh, I, I went back to the scriptures where um, Jesus in the in the height of his ministry years, which were very short and his time was very precious, um, was approached by a whole number of kids and the disciples were trying to shoo these kids away. Get out, you little tackers, you know, nick off us. His time's too important for kids, you know, and Jesus um, told them off. And he said, look, let the little children come to me. So, and that was the angle I went with with them and said, look, your, your child is in the best hands, best possible hands it can be in. Mm. And So there was that one, and I, I would bump into that lady around town from time to time. Wow, what a, what a privilege um, to be a part of, of yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, when we come back, we'll hear more of Greg's story. You're listening to Life Bursts. Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle RawCutAU. This is Life Burst with Matt today and with Greg, who's sharing his story. You've been in Narracourt. You've had these uh, experiences as a, a pastor at Warrnambool. And, uh, but, you, again, you couldn't stay there. You continued to move on. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, the, the role came to an end after four years, mm. and we, um, we ended up staying on for one more year um, where I taught in a special school in Hamilton. And I would say if I went back to teaching, I'd look at something like that because I really enjoyed that. Mm. Um, but it was time for us, having left, having been gone from Adelaide for 12 years, it was time for us to come home. Uh, and Karen's mum was dying, and um, we thought, let's just make it happen. Let's just go home. We'll find some job, some house. And um, so we started applying for jobs and houses, and I got landed one job working with APY kids in a, in a um, um, boarding facility on north of Adelaide. And uh, the only house we could actually find ended up being a manse in Meadows. And, and we teed up the house and the job. The day after, there was a fire ripped through the Warrnambool phone exchange and all our internet and phones went down for nearly three weeks. So it was, we could only go for the one job and the one house. And right. it was kind of like God's sense of humour at, at work. Um, so we did end up in, in Meadows and I was working as a, a youth worker and... Um, 
we connected really well with the community because you know, I moved back at the start of cricket season and I love cricket, but um, it was also a chance to get to know people. So we, uh, I ended up going out for cricket. My um, second son went out for cricket and um, he started playing football. We got involved a bit with the football club, through meeting people there through just on the sidelines with, the, with, with, with him. Um, we ended up at... Meadows Uniting Church. After when we first moved back, we actually went to Mount Barker Baptist. We knew people there, but I kept getting the words in my mind, value in local, and so we started attending Meadows Uniting. Um, this is going to be a bit convoluted because I want to kind of jump back and forth between the footy and the church. Yeah, but um, the football was an interesting one because I was doing the runners' job for the under seventeens when my son was playing. And then a new coach came and with his own runner and I was out of a role. And um, so I went and saw the senior coaches, um, Evan and, and Craig, uh, um, Bales, Scott, <laughs> and um, said, um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to join you guys on the track just to have a run with the boys. It doesn't matter if I don't get a game. Uh, three things you need to know. I'm 50. I'm probably not fit enough and I was never as good as I thought I was. And uh, well, I ended up playing, I think, 33 games or something like that for, for the club in my yeah. 50s. I was really hoping to get 50 up, but retirement has, <laughs> has come now. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I ended up uh, approaching the president after I'd become pastor of the church and, um, and said to him, look, everybody in town knows what I do. I'd like to kind of offer that to the club in the form of a chaplaincy. He says, what does a chaplain do? And I said, be honest, I've got no idea. Right, yeah. I said, but I think it'll it'll evolve, but I think it'll, it'll work itself out. And he said, it's a great idea, and the committee voted me in. And um, so I was on the phone to Brandon and saying, what does a chaplain do? And he was giving me all these hints about what to do. And um, there's a couple of photos here. One is a, a woodcut we did to raise some funds for, uh, sorry, to get some wood for, uh, people in, the, in our community who couldn't afford to buy firewood one yeah, year. Right. And all the guys in the photo, except for the guy on the far right, is he's the guy who owned the property and said, you can come and get the wood from my place. All the other guys are from the football club, mm. including the, the tall guy there who was the president at the, at the time. And that was a real joy just to be able to get those guys come out and to you know, connect a bit more with them. Um, being chaplain is, is, is full of tensions uh, but the tension is that I just want to tell people about Jesus all the time, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be that person yeah. because I've had that people people do that to me before and before I was a follower, and I know what that feels like. So I, I'm more relational. Um, I want to earn people's trust, and um, hopefully we can have those conversations. In, and usually I find other people initiate them. Mm. Um, so, so, Greg, why... why um why say yes to being a pastor? Why say yes to being a chaplain? I mean, what is it behind all of that that's uh, been so important for you in the last few moments we have? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, uh, the yes to being a pastor, it, it was, again, it was, a, it was a clear choice for us that God would honour yes or no. It wasn't a, um, this is a role I've got for you and you've got no choice. It was, you know, um, this is going to be hard work. Um, and it was. It has been. Um but it's also been a great joy. And and I stepped into it because we, Karen and I had always um, wanted to just avail ourselves and say to God, look, no matter where we find ourselves, we want to be yours. And I get to be 
pastor of this fantastic little vibrant church. You know, we're, um, the thing I really love about our church is there are a whole lot of people in there who are so passionate about their Lord, and it's not just going through the motions. They've let me make a whole lot of changes, um, not just let me, but they've rolled with it and, and enthusiastically embraced that and say, so, I just love our little church, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you can see uh, your love for the community, for the church, for mm. um, for people. It certainly comes through your story. If you had one piece of advice that you could give to whoever our viewers, listeners are, wherever they are today, what would that advice be? Well, I can slip two in really quickly. Yeah, go for it. Um, one would be people matter. Just, just very simple. People matter. The second one is um, find out who Jesus is. People, I think too many people will gather who Jesus is by what they see in his followers, which is, you know, should be up to scratch, but we are fallible people. But when we read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find out who he really is. Yeah. Yeah, great, great advice. Uh, well, thank you so much, Greg, for coming to share with us. And uh, there's been quite an adventure, the places you've been, for sharing with us uh, a bit of uh, your experience of another culture, mm-hmm. um, your experience coming through all of those things. And uh, I know that's been encouragement to me. And uh, as you continue to encourage others, I know this story will encourage some people too. Thank you. Uh, this is Life Bursts. Uh, while Sarah's been away today, she will be back uh, with us next episode as we continue to share and unfold local stories of people through their lives, ordinary people like you. So who will it be on next week? Uh, you'll have to wait and see. You can listen to Life Bursts on uh, wherever you find your podcasts. You can listen on Hills Radio, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, Community TV as well. So good day to you wherever you're listening or viewing from today uh, don't go too far away at life burst we'll be back next week but thank you today so much for joining us life bursts is hosted by matthew karat and sarah freeman with production by reese jarrett and kay hoshraw ozadigan for more episodes of life bursts go to rawcut.com.au this is a raw cut production